And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chiefs, priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching at the, at the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. So this morning as I'm praying, I would encourage you to pray. Scott, we pray that you would open our hearts right now that your word would find fertile ground in our hearts. We're praying that we would continue to worship as we study your word. Scott, stir in my affections for Jesus as we study this morning. God, speak to my heart as only you can. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if this is your first time with us, or maybe first time watching or listening to podcasts, we're going through Acts verse by verse, and this morning, the title of what we're going to talk about is Pain, the Forerunner of Hope. That's what our text leads us into today. So kind of, um, you know, this would be the sentence that we're going to try to work out this morning through the text, that through the gospel, so this is anybody that's in Christ Jesus, that's kind of the premise right here, through the gospel, pain forms supernatural hope and joy in and through our lives. So there's something very interesting. You know, we all, of course, we want to avoid pain. However, you know, we're in a broken, sin-filled world. There's not any way they're going to get around pain and suffering. You live long enough in this life, and you will suffer. It's inevitable. But see, here's what we miss, is that so many times is that God has got a purpose in the suffering and in the pain that we're going through. Sometimes we got ourselves in a mess. Sometimes other people did, did this, this stuff to us that caused the pain and suffering. But sometimes we have to realize that God has allowed this, and maybe even God has brought it about in our lives to sanctify us, to get us to the place where we need to be. Because we always have to come back to this one thing, that this isn't all about me. This is about God. This isn't all about what I want. This is about his kingdom and what's best for eternity as far as that's concerned. Now, I'm going to go back to James chapter 1. If you've been here for, 
few years, then we went verse by verse through the book of James. And let's just start right back there at James chapter 1 this morning, kind of review a little bit of understanding what it means to suffer. What is, what is this all about? So James says this, consider it great joy. So right here, the Greek is pasan, cheron. So great, a lot of times in Greek, that's megos. Right here, he says, pasan. That means, you could say, consider it unmixed joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, now, whenever I hit a trial, I have a hard time seeing that as unmixed joy. I might do well to say, okay, this is painful and bad, I don't like it, but I see some joy in it. That's at the very best. But say unmixed joy? See now, and then he says various trials. So, you know, various trials, that's going to be death, divorce, all kinds of things that are just terrible, you know. I mean, you've at the very top right here, death, divorce, disease. You know, I mean, these are the worst. That's the worst kind of trials. And then I would come all the way down to through the, the little trials like maybe suffering with your teenage children or maybe, maybe the, the, the pains of, 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 you know, a co-worker or something like that. The little trials right here and everything in between. He says, consider all of it unmixed joy. Now, now why would he say consider it all unmixed joy? He goes on to explain. He goes, because, here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Compound word in Greek, hupo meno. That means to hyper, hupo is hyper, and meno means stand. <laughs> kind of weird, is it? Because you think about somebody that's hyper, like you got a hyper kid, they're not standing still, right? They're jumping all over the place. But in this, he's saying hyper stands. So like, there's not anything that's going to move you here. So whenever I've got trials coming my way, then what I've got to be doing is not working. Want to see? That just kind of goes counterintuitive to what we think. We think I need to be doing something. I need to be responding the right way. But right here, what the text is saying, what James is saying, is you've got to buckle down. You've got to stand. So you're in Christ Jesus. That's your position in Christ, you stand in Christ Jesus. You take your positional place in there, in his righteousness, not yours. In his work, not your work. He's a strong one, you're not the strong one. Some of y'all have been wearing yourselves out because you're trying to lay down that besetting sin or something like that. You're trying to be stronger, more self-disciplined and all that. You're not, and you can't. That's the reason he's coming back and haunting you. It's not about you performing. It's not about you being stronger, more self-willed. It's about you taking your position in Christ. Hopper standing there. How do I do that? Okay, so listen, you've heard this your whole life in church. This is not a religion. It's a relationship. And there's so much truth to that. See, your relationship is how you hopper stand. It is a love relationship. It's not me begrudgingly obeying Jesus because, oh, I hope he doesn't strike me with lightning today, or, man, if I don't, if I don't obey him, I'm going to have a bad week, or I'm going to lose all our money. No, no. It's, it is a loving relationship. It's a response out of love is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm hyper standing here because, man, this God is so gracious and so good. There isn't anything that I can do in and of myself to earn righteousness. It has been, the theological word is imputed to me. That means it's been given to me. It's been placed in my account. How could I not love a God like that? So he says, here's what you do. Man, when the test comes, you focus on your position in Christ. You hyper stand there. And look at this. Because here's what he says. He says, and let hupo meno, let endurance 
So you're letting it do something. When you get there, you're letting the work of God work in and through you and let endurance have its full effect. He doesn't say, so now then you really buckle down and you try to do real good and real hard. (laughs) That isn't what it says. This is not works righteousness, and this is not you working for God's favor. This is about your position in Christ. That's why you're favored, because you're in the right position. You're in the right relationship. He is rightly relating to you. The question is, are you rightly relating to him? And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature. So what do you think it means to be a mature Christian? And complete, lacking nothing. So I'll tell you what I think. This is take it or leave it. This is just what I think. I think a mature Christian is someone who has the ability to respond to trials the right way. That's just my opinion right there. And what is the right way? We just saw it. It's like in my position in Christ. It's not trying to manhandle things or be, be the ones to control everything and try to make everything work out right because you can't make everything work out right because you don't know what's right. Only God knows what's right. I mean, how many times have you tried to do, you thought this was right and you got in the middle of it and it was wrong? It's because we don't know. See, he's all knowing. He's, he's the one that knows everything and he's the one that's in control. So all I need to do is just take my position in him. It's called abiding. John 15, 5, if, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding and not striving. See, see, see a lot of you right now, you are striving. I mean, you are, you are trying so hard to make things work out the right. You think that, there's, that you, you got to be right here in this place doing You're waiting on the other shoe to drop. And you're striving and striving and striving, trying to make everything work out so when the other shoe drops that everything's going to be okay. And you're striving. We just saw last week, Jesus told Saul, said, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? You're fighting against what I'm trying to do. So I need to be abiding and not striving. Hupomeno, hyper standing. Jesus said, take my yoke. That my yoke, now I know we've heard wonderful sermons about putting the yoke on like an oxen next to it is going to pull the load. That's great. You know, I'm not arguing that point. But in, in rabbinical, Hebraic rabbinical teaching, a yoke was his teaching. It was his compilation of all of the rabbinical teaching right there. So a rabbi would say his yoke is all of his teaching. So when Jesus says, take my yoke and learn, what do he say learn? What he, he would say, take my yoke and pull with me. He doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find, oh my, rest for your souls. There's that hupomeno, stand in my position. I'm not striving, I'm abiding for my yoke is easy. But my burden is not, listen, listen. Live, he did not say living the Christian life is easy. Okay? He said my yoke is easy. So this would be my argument this morning. The gospel is easy. He's done all the work for your righteousness. It's about your position in him. That's the easy right there. You got that? Our nature, our flesh, we want to work for it. And he's already done all the work. So let's kind of back up a little bit before we get to our primary text this morning. And this is talking about Saul, who was later became the apostle Paul. He says, 
Jesus is talking to Ananias right here and says, for this man speaking to Paul is my chosen instrument. Siskeo right here is a Greek word. That is a vessel, something that has no power in and of itself. It has to be filled with something else. It has to be empowered with something else. To take my name to the Gentiles, the kings, and the Israelites. And look at this. And I will show him how much he must the pain, the forerunner. I would put, I want to put hope and joy, but I try to keep those titles shorter. That he must suffer the pain for my name. Because see, this, without the suffering, the Apostle Paul never becomes the Apostle Paul. Sure. You, you do realize that Saul in Hebrew means big and powerful. Guess what Paul means? Little. So here we go. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus. If you weren't here last week, this was we're, we're coming right off the Damascus Road experience where he has been radically converted to Christ Jesus, okay? He was a Pharisee that was going out, set out to destroy the church. He was going to Damascus to have them thrown in prison, taken prisoner, brought back to Jerusalem, and he was having them killed. I mean, he was bloodthirsty dude that was out to destroy the church. And he gets radically converted right outside Damascus, goes into Damascus, and it says that Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. He is a, no, listen, he had, he had been given legal authority to go into the synagogues, and when he got to the synagogues, to arrest anybody who was Christian. Okay? So he comes into the synagogue. Can you imagine? Okay, see, wait, wait a picture of this. He's coming into the synagogue. He's a, he's what we would consider a, Seminary professor, one of the top seminary professors in Jerusalem, comes into the synagogue. You know what they're doing in the synagogue? They're like, hey, man, Saul is here. Here you go. Here's the reading for the day. And they give it. And Saul goes up there. The apostle Paul just converted. All of these Jews are getting ready to listen to him, this fervent, wonderful teacher. And he reads the text. And then he proclaims Jesus is the Messiah. You're talking about some people coming undone and unraveled. See, because here's the thing. See, we got to back up and remember this. That Saul and all the other Jews, what they're doing is they are looking for the Messiah. So whenever he sees Jesus on the Damascus Road, he's like, here's the revelation. Jesus is the Messiah. And so now he gets up and he preaches. And he, um, why can he do that immediately? Because now he has got something different he's never had before. You know what he has that he didn't have before? He has the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. All who heard him, they were astounded right here. They were, they were ecstamino right here. That means ecstatic. That's where we get our word ecstatic. They were, I mean, they were like ecstatic. So some of them were, we think of ecstatic, we think about joyful ecstatic. But I mean, like, there's a different part of that too that's like, there's people that are ecstatically joyful and there's people that can also be ecstatically angry. So they were astounded, ecstatic. I mean, their emotions were running. And it says, isn't this a man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoner to the chief priests. But Saul grew, now, now here's what you understand, why and how is Saul growing stronger? He's growing stronger because as he compilates this and he begins to, to look at how Jesus is Messiah, he's learning more and more how Jesus is exactly lining up with all the Old Testament scriptures that he knew that he is indeed fulfilled them, and he is indeed the Messiah. 
So his argument is getting stronger and stronger because he's getting more and more texts and more and more understanding as he goes. You know what this tells me? This tells me that all of us should be growing stronger in our knowledge of the Word of God. And as a result of that, we should be going stronger in our faith, in our witness, in our testimony, stronger in our service to the Lord. So may I ask you something today? Here we are. We are about halfway through this year. Are you stronger now, spiritually, than you were January 1st of this year? Have you seen growth in your spiritual life? So he kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is so interesting. I saw this, and I want to share it with you. So this is the stages of, of spiritual maturity. New birth, use them, man. This is so easy. You know, when you first get saved, every prayer you pray gets answered, it seems like, doesn't it? It's like, man, this is, this is great. Like, why are people struggling with this? You know, and then you get to, oh, this is difficult. Man, here comes the struggles with sin, the struggles with other people, and then it gets to the point where if you really want to serve Jesus, we get to this is impossible. It's like everything is going wrong that can go wrong. And see, the apostle Paul, Saul, he starts out and everything is going great, but right here in this story, the music changes in the movie, and it gets that, that, that minor music starts hitting, and everything starts falling apart at his feet. It's going to go from easy to difficult to impossible. And then there's, see, because when I finally get to the point to where I realize that in and of myself, I can do nothing, then I finally get to the point where I realize this is all about him and not about me. It's about my position in him. It's not about my works. It's not about my righteousness. It's not about how good of a Christian I am. It's about my position. Hupo mental, hyper stand right here. And if I stand right here, then nothing can come into my life without first going through the hand of God. And if it goes through the hand of God, it comes to my life with great meaning and eternal purpose. So we can handle it because I'm going to stand in Christ. I'm going to weather the storm. Because listen, I done abandoned my ship. That's how I can weather the storm because I done, I done jumped my ship and I jumped in Jesus' ship, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the rock of my salvation. He's the one that beyond the storm, he's the sun that breaks through the storm, that eternal sun right there that's always shining, that I know that even when the darks get cloud, even when the rain comes pouring down and the winds are blowing, man, the sun, the sun is still shining eternally, never at an end. So I'm in this ship, and I know I'm going to weather this storm. Listen, even if everything breaks apart, this ship's never going to be destroyed. So after many days had passed, the Jews, since they could not argue him, they couldn't win the argument, they decided to kill him. Since we couldn't win, we just decided to fire him. Since we couldn't agree anymore, we decided to turn our back on them. They'll no longer be a part of our group. Since we never could win against them. Now, we're just going to start all kinds of bad rumors about them and discredit them. Does that happen in our world today? Does it happen in our church world today? So here's what you have to understand. That stage was looking at a while ago, went up to spiritual maturity. If you are going to serve in the church, you have to know this, that people in the church will rub you wrong. 
It's called tools of sanctification. Okay? If nobody in the church is rubbing you wrong, that means you're not doing anything. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his dis- what? His where did he get disciples? I mean, this dude's working fast, isn't he? I mean, he's already got he's already got people that are listen. You, you know, you've you've heard this before. Many of you have, and then to reframe this for all of us, we all need a Barnabas in our life to encourage us. We all need. A Peter will say he went to Jerusalem. Peter spoke truth into it. We need a Peter, somebody that's going to, to look up to and instruct us, a mentor for that. And we also need, always need a Timothy to pour our lives into. You only find that in a church, by the way. You're not going to find that out in the world. But here's what you have to understand. He has already got disciples that he is pouring into. He's got younger men, evidently, that he is teaching, that Jesus is proving to them that he's the that he's Messiah, that they could go out and disciple others as disciples of Jesus, but they took him by night and they lowered him in a large basket through the opening in a wall. Y'all grew up, some of y'all grew up in Sunday school and y'all seen the flanographs of the story of him getting lowered through the wall right here. Here's what I want you to understand though, is that he considered this to be a very humbling experience because you go to him and you say, hey, listen, Paul, you know, tell me about how did your, how did your missionary life begin? Oh, I got lowered down a wall and I ran for my life. That's how he began it. I mean, here's what he says. He says, years later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. Then verse 32, he tells a story. He says, when I was in Damascus, he said that they were after me, and I had to run for my life, that this was a weakness of mine, that this was humiliating to me. See, you know, I'll tell you, the music's changed, and this went from everything going right to now it's going to seem like everything is going wrong. When he arrived in Jerusalem, back to home base, thank God, man, Jerusalem, this will be the place where it'll all go good. He tried to join the disciples of Jesus, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe that he, <laughs> what was he doing when he left? And he left, he was like going to destroy the church. And he comes back and he's like, hey, listen, I'm one of y'all now. Oh, ultimate sheep and wolf, I mean, wolf and sheep's clothing to them, right? And they were like, this is a trap of all traps. Listen, we look at that and we're like, man, what's wrong with those Christians? And I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that's the same way. I'm that same exact way. Because listen, you get experience in church culture and we see these, these big time conversions, you know. Never forget one time, man, listen, one of the worst dudes in my town as far as like, man, he was a thief. He was, I mean, like he had just done terrible things. His wife left him, and he made a profession of faith, got saved, got baptized. So the, the um, church leaders put him up in front of the church to give his testimony almost immediately. And I was sitting back there as a young man even, and I was like, hmm, I think we need to give this brother a little bit of time to make sure, you know, time will tell. And unfortunately, time did tell. And he went right back to doing what he did before once everything got, the spare tire got put on and everything got fixed, he thought. He went right back the way he was, but there was no proof of any conversion. So let me tell you something. Whenever big time celebrities or whatever, people that are like high profile people, they make a profession of faith. I mean, it may be wrong. I don't know. I'm not saying this is what we should do, but I'm always like, okay, let's just wait and see. 
before we put them up there on front of the stage, in front of everybody, you know, you know and, and talking about how great they are and how awesome their conversion story is, hey, listen, praise God for wonderful conversion stories, but the, listen, your testimony is not the gospel. Okay? That's what we gotta get, gotta get a grasp on that. There's a big difference. Anytime that, that somebody gives a great testimony, it's all about how great they are and how, how great, you know, all these big, ch- that's all about them. But listen, when, oh Lord, man, there's rabbits running all over the place in here. I wanna chase. <laughs> we'll just leave it there for now, okay? So, I mean, they're having a hard time with that. I mean, he was truly converted, but they're having, understandably, a difficult time. Oh, but see, this is why we need a Barnabas. We need a Barnabas. How many of y'all need a Barnabas? I need a whole bunch of Barnabases, by the way. Barnabas, however, took him. I mean, man, the Greek is forceful. I mean, it's like, it's like when they would catch fish. Where it was like he, he manhandled him. But really, I mean, like, if I was going to translate this into East Texan, he manhandled him. He, like, he went and grabbed him and said, boy, you coming with me. <laughs> he took him. Okay, almost against his will and brought him to the, okay, so disciples, apostles, two different things, right? The apostles are the ones that are called out and chosen by Jesus personally. Disciples, anybody who wants to follow, it could have been hundreds of disciples. There's only 12 apostles. There's been the replacements happened here and, wow, another rabbit. Okay, we'll leave that. I believe that Paul also is an apostle. And explain to them. So he said, okay, Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him. I mean, like, still people in church are like, yeah, sure he did. And how in Damascus, but here's the thing, he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Okay, so here's the part we miss. The text doesn't tell us right here, but Galatians does. In the meanwhile, he spent three years out in the desert the Lord reteaching him the scriptures and what the gospel lens is put on. So he isn't really so much a new convert. He's been there three years alone with the Lord and he's coming back and now he's seeking out brothers to help him to grow, hold him accountable, to speak into him. And thank God, listen, we'll... If you got the gift of encouragement, so Jeff Rogers down here, I always jump on him about the gift of encouragement. You don't know that dude and you get to know him. He has got the gift of encouragement. And, and his mom too, I mean like when his mom comes to church here, I mean she's like all flowing with encouragement. If you've got the gift of encouragement, the rest of us that are in the body of Christ, we need you. We need the Barnabas, because what if Barnabas doesn't help out here? So he says, man, listen, he's got, the, the brother's got a testament. He's been speaking boldly. He's got some, I mean, he's got some, he's, I mean, he's got some traction right here. So Saul, as a result, everybody had respect for Barnabas. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name. Okay, it's got, it was went from easy to difficult, but now we're flowing now. We're going good now, because now he's, he's coming in and out, and he's, he's experiencing great things with the church. It's all going good. Oh, man. How many of y'all been around long enough to know when it's all going good? You better brace yourself. <laughs> he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. But they tried to kill him. There it is again. It's like, man, if we can't win the argument, let's just kill him. 
solves, and we, we win now. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea, and they sent him off to back to his hometown, which is Tarsus. And this may be a little, a little hard for you to see right here, but here's Jerusalem. He went to Caesarea. Why would Luke tell us Caesarea? And then you go all the way 600 miles up here to Tarsus. Here's why. Caesarea was a, was a Roman seaport city right here. So anybody that was going to sell out of Jerusalem, they always went to Caesarea. If you read your Bible, you'll see they always go to Caesarea, and that's where the ship takes off right there. So evidently he went to Caesarea, and up 600, that's like you driving from here to Brownsville, okay? So I'll just kind of give you some context. I mean, it looks real big on theirs, but the state of Texas would swallow all of this. So anyway, he goes up there to his hometown. Listen. He has spent three years out in the wilderness by himself, comes back to Jerusalem. Things don't go so well. It all falls apart. They put him on a ship, and they send him back home. All of the biblical scholars say there's no evidence that there were any Christians in Tarsus when he got there. He goes back to his hometown. Listen to me. 10 to 11 years with nothing. Probably went back to making tents. No longer the seminary professor. Everything, do you see everything? He's falling apart for him. I mean, if you come walking up to Saul there, and he's there about year eight, and he's making tents, and he's just, just been there for eight years, and nothing is happening. I mean, wouldn't you be like, hey, man, how's it going? Be, listen, be, I, think, I think you have to be careful to ask Paul how's it going, okay? Because I doubt he'd be like, oh, man, I am blessed and highly favored of God today. I doubt that's the answer you would get from him. He goes, some of you right now, you are stuck in a painful situation right now, and you're wondering, why do I'm staying here year after year? Why am I still single? Why am I still in debt? Why am I still having health struggles? Why? And then there goes, there's so many things that come after why. Why do I keep rolling back into the same thing over and over? And I'm praying that God would deliver me. And it seems like nothing ever happens. Year after year, the marriage is getting worse. Why? That's our question. See, I'm telling you today, if you're in the right ship, if you're standing, hyper-standing, here's what I can tell you. On the other side of that storm, there is the eternal sun that is always shining. And pain is the forerunner. It's the thing that goes before. Hope. Listen, the Apostle Paul can never write those amazing letters about the majesty and the glory of God unless he suffered greatly first. Here's what he says later on, looking back, after it's all kind of getting down to the end right here, here's what he says about his life. He says, because of the extraordinary revelations, I mean, one of them is the Damascus Road experience, by the way, seeing Jesus and Jesus speaking to him there, that's an extraordinary revelation. Would you not agree with me on that? Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, so that I would not become puffed up, so that I would not become prideful. Because pride is our greatest enemy, by the way. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. I would not be puffed up. I would not become prideful. 
Have you ever been tormented? I doubt that any of us have been tormented to the extent that the Apostle Paul was. There's all kinds of speculations about what this might have been. You know what? It doesn't matter to me what it was. When the brother says that there was a messenger of Satan to torment him, it was bad. That's, that's, that's good enough for me, okay? Now, you know I'm going to say this. I've got to say it every Sunday, it seems like. How on earth does this right here line up with my best life now? It doesn't. How does this line up with the prosperity gospel? You do realize that when the apostle Paul died, he died poor with nothing. They, the, the Bible scholars believe that they chopped his head off. And that you, don't go, you can't go to the Middle East or anywhere, in, anywhere over there and find Paul's grave. Do you know why? The, the scholars believe that he was thrown out there into the dump with all the rest of the criminals and the dogs ate his body. How's that your best life now? He wasn't, I mean, there, see, we think of all the junk of this world as that being what God wants us to have. Here's what you have to understand. Everything in this world has got the potential to crush you and break your heart. You do realize that, right? There is not anything in this world that cannot, you cannot lose by the end of this day. I, listen, I want to, you know, as a preacher, you got to tell the same story over and over again because y'all need to be reminded, number one. Number two, there's new people in the room, okay? So you, some of you might have heard me say this before. i got to say it again, okay? Here's a story that always is just, to, as far as this is all concerned right here. So Melissa's brother, I've known him for 14 years. Man, when I first got to know him, he was a rolling businessman, owned Dallas Chimney Sweep. It was, he owned the business. He was a founder. Owned the, he was rolling. And one day, he's at work. He's working 100 miles an hour like he always did. Never heard him talk about Jesus, by the way, before this event. Gets a headache. Gets so bad, he goes to urgent care. They put him in urgent care. Within a few hours, they sedate him. He has multiple strokes. After, I mean, when he, he, he goes into a coma for a long time, when he comes out of the coma, he has lost everything. He, can bar- he, he starts out from like being a little baby again. He can barely talk, can't walk, pretty much starts over. He loses everything. When he finally got well enough, he... Now has eventually, he's living in a nursing home now, a military nursing home. They won't, I don't know if you know about nursing homes, you probably do. He sits in his room. He's been sitting in his room for over a year now doing nothing. Melissa calls him. I hear it on the speakerphone. All, when she calls him, all he can do is talk about Jesus. And the dude like is in love with Jesus like nobody I have ever known. I mean, legitimately. He's like one of the sweetest people you'll ever come across now. I mean, like when you see him, I mean, just the sweetness of the Lord just oozes out of him. He lost everything. Argue that one against me, your best life now. Show me now. There's my argument right there. He lost everything of this world. But he did not lose Jesus. He gained a deeper, richer relationship with Jesus. And man, the dude is filled with joy like nobody else I know. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three seasons, three times, over and over, Lord, just that it would leave me, that I'd get out from under this torment. But he said to me, my grace 
everything you got that is good as a result of God's grace coming into your life. That is a supply into your life. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Is that just opposite of the American dream or what? Because we all want to be powerful, strong, rich, and wealthy and all that. That's, man, that's success, you know? You know, you know when people meet me and, they, and I, they find out that I'm pastor, you know what the first question they ask me is? How big's your church? Because that's the measure of success. How many people attend your church on Sunday morning? How many people are sitting in there? Because if it's a bunch, then you're successful. If it's not, then you're not. That's the way it is. So what, what if we didn't measure how successful a ministry is by how many rears are in the seat, but instead how many lives are transformed? What if we measured that as success? Because I can't transform anybody, by the way. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So, I mean, really, at the end of the day, I have nothing, I've done nothing for you. You do realize that, right? I mean, like, you may walk out and go, yeah, he did nothing for me, okay? We're agreeing on that, okay? But you may walk out and say, man, that sermon was so great, it helped me. You go, everybody that comes to me and they shake my hand and they say, David, that was a great sermon. Do you know what goes in my mind? That says more about your heart than it does my sermon, by the way. Because your heart has got to be softened to the message of God. It isn't about the messenger. It's about the message, and it's about your heart. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, man, that's when I've got hope and joy, when everything has gotten wrecked out of my life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to He wants to take the bad things that are happening to you and cause them to destroy you. But I have come that they may have life and have in abundance. God wants to take the painful things that are happening to you and develop you spiritually. But you have to stand. Hupomeno, hyper stand in that position. So he spends 10, 11 years in Tarsus. And here... So we're going to leave Paul behind here until Acts 11, 25, and 26. But I want you to see this. Man, the the Gentiles start getting saved. Things are are rolling there in the Gentiles. And here's what happens. Then Barnabas goes up to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Thank God for Barnabas, huh? And the church are going real good. Barnabas is like, hey, what is going on? Come go with that dude, Saul. And he goes up there. Can you imagine Saul out there making the tents 10, 11 years, thinking this is going to be the rest of my life? He has lost everything. Barnabas comes bebopping in town. Hey, dude, come on. Let's go back down out here to a place called Antioch. And oh my, when we get to Acts chapter 11, it's going to take off. 14 years after he makes his profession, his good confession of Jesus. 14 years. So maybe right now you're in 14 years. And you may be wanting God to hurry up. 
And it may be that you're not ready. I remember, I've told y'all before, I went through four years, four darkest years of my life. I went through depression. I was in anger. I was in hate. And I was in unforgiveness. When God finally granted forgiveness to me, two weeks later is when I met Melissa. If I would have met her three weeks earlier, I was not ready. Do you hear hear me? That's only four years. Some of you right now, you're in those years of whatever it may be, and you're wondering when you're going to find relief. You're wondering when God's going to begin using you or whatever it may be. And here's what I'm telling you. It may be that you are not ready for what you're wanting so badly. What you're wanting is not wrong, but it just may be that you're not ready. You say, well, what do I do to get ready? I don't know. Pray. And there's my pat answer. Your brother knows me well, and I was like, okay, you're going to ask David a question, he's going to say pray. Because I believe sincerely in that. Would y'all please stand this morning? So look up there at the screen, if you would, as you stand up. You know, it's always interesting to me <clears throat> is that, you know, in, in, in life, you know, um, you, know, you, 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 f- you first start off life and you're young and everything's great and, you know, um, you, you can't imagine death, okay? I mean, like death is like so far and so far away and you don't want to die. That's good. You shouldn't want to. You shouldn't be like, in, like wanting to die, okay? But something happens as we age and we progress. The more pain and suffering and the more loss we suffer in this life and in this world and the more pain we're in sometimes as we get older and older and older we start looking forward to going to heaven now here's what i can tell you of all the people i know there's one dude that can't wait he's ready and that's Melissa's brother. Now he's sitting on go. He's living every day looking for the Lord's return. I don't know anybody else like that. And I mean, like, if he goes before me, man, I know that that day that I'm there at that funeral, I'm going to be like, yes, he's got it now. What he so desperately longed for here, he's got it now. See, I look at that and I'm like, why do we live so much for this temporary two seconds of this life that we've got here compared to eternity? Why do we invest so much into this? Why do we give our heart to this world when it's so short and so temporary? Yes, a God, today, God, we ask, we ask you to soften our hearts. 
to let the, the scales would fall off of our eyes, that we would see how short and how temporary this life is, that we would see how we have just given ourselves over to something that's so temporary. God, today I pray for the ones that are in here who are in pain, the ones in here who are waiting, the ones in here that are years into their wait. God, I pray today that you would give them faith, that you would encourage their heart, that they would know that behind the storm clouds, the eternal sun is always shining. So God, today we pray that you would give us the strength to hyperstand in our position in Christ, that we would abandon our ship, and that we would get into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So could you pray that today? Would you, could you ask God to give you the faith to, to step into the Lordship of Christ and to trust him, come what may? Even when everything seems to be falling apart and going wrong and you get shipped off to Damascus, can you stay in that ship? You got to go back home and go back to making tents. Can you stay in the ship? I oh, see it's only by the grace of God. Is everything falling apart over and over in your life? Well, maybe from an eternal perspective, things are falling in place and you don't know it. All you got to do is be in the right ship, your position in Christ. So God, just help me in my position in Christ Jesus. to stand firmly there, to trust you, to abide. God, I'm tired of striving. Teach me to abide. Give me the faith to abide. In Jesus' name, you may be seated.